We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a One, alienate the fans. Step two, alienate the star player. Step three, profit? This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. So many things to talk about, so many directions to go with that intro. I just went with a stepbrothers style intro. But you can go with whatever you want. We can talk about the football which sucks. We can talk about the communications and noises, so to speak, coming from the club, which sucks. Uh, And we can just basically all moan all day long and roll around in the misery together. And you know what? A problem shared is a problem amplified. I don't know. They say it's a problem halved. I find that's not really working. But either way, uh, we love you and we thank you for being here. We're going to talk Lester. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the reporting around Unai Emery following Lester. And I think the challenge that we are going to have and, and inevitably is going to be tied up with all of this right now is how much you can analyze anything footballistically if you believe that all of the problems sort of stem from a breakdown uh, at the coaching level. So We'll try to dive into that, among other things. Uh, Some great reporting coming out from David Ornstein, and, you know, we will discuss some of that as well, you know, whether you believe it all, whether, you know, it accurately reflects how the club feels and and how it makes us feel, Uh, all that and more coming up this show. First, we have Clive, who's on Twitter, at ClivePAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Uh, Tim is away on women's football duties. Paul is away on job duties so uh we have a fill-in voice that you may be familiar with his name is andrew you can find him on twitter at arsblog hello andrew hello yeah hi so um look i obviously did what i always do to prepare for this podcast which is listen to your podcast take notes and then try to repeat it just in an american accent uh that's not going to work as nicely this time because you are physically here to defend yourself um but 
I think I'll start with you just to talk about the football first, because that is at least tangible on some level. And I have seen it said that this was an improvement in performance of sorts. But it it reminded me a little bit of the game at Anfield in the sense that if you're constantly trying to approach these games playing reactively, soaking up pressure and countering, you may create a few chances, but you are putting so much burden on yourself to shine in the one or two key moments that you have and not crack under the pressure you invite on yourself. So in general, do you agree with the perception that this, at least in the beginning of the game, was an improved performance or that this approach generally is just the wrong way for Arsenal to go into games? Um, Personally, I think, you know, I find it hard to watch an Arsenal side that is, excuse me, so set up to to worry about the opposition. Um, Do I think it was improved? I think it was a little bit, but I also think it's coming from a really low bar. I think the performances of late have been really poor. That said, I did think there were some moments within the game where we we put together some nice passing moves which we haven't seen and maybe you know a better finish or a better final pass would have would have seen us complete those so from that point of view there was a little bit of encouragement to be had from it but when you go through it through the 90 minutes um you know i i think maybe we're just looking for anything that's not complete awfulness at this moment in time you know uh we didn't have a shot after the 53rd minute. We only had one shot on target in the whole game. You know, it's another one of those games where statistically we just don't perform. And ultimately, I do think it comes back to our approach. And if our approach every single game is to look at the strengths of the opposition, I've heard you guys talk about this before on the podcast. You know, if, if you're looking too much at the strengths of the opposition and not enough at your own strengths, you're never going to be able to to play football the way we want to see Arsenal play football or control games. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It just it it feels like another one of those games that Unai Emery has tried to do something. It hasn't worked, and we've kind of chucked away more points. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty obvious that the appearance of the back three in midweek was with an eye towards using it again in this game. I think that was always the plan. I, I think obviously based on how midweek went, he might have wanted to change the plan, but. Be that as it may, you know, I, I think the fact that he used Tierney for 90 minutes in midweek was unfortunate because we really were not creating much up the left-hand side. I mean, I know that Kolasinac had the, the pass to Aubameyang for a tap-in goal that, well, not quite a tap-in, but a nice finish goal for uh, that was offside. But I thought Kolasinac was diabolical in this game. I do think that Tierney would have helped. Really, the only good things we did came through Bellerin's side of the pitch, and that further isolated our best player in Aubameyang. So, you know, I, I think personnel was a problem. But Clive, you know, we, we've we seen that the back three, the way Emery lines it up and sets it out is is not one that can control a game. You know, you have often talked about the back three being able to be a more attacking setup. I don't think that's necessarily the case. And it puts a lot of pressure on the midfield because the midfield struggles to connect to the forwards. I, I think the idea with Ozil playing is sort of like a false nine with Aubameyang and Lacazette split wide was that he could drop in and give them... Um, more options to progress the ball, and I thought he did that well. But in general, I just think that this is a setup that really creates too few chances and puts the opposition under too little pressure. And, you know, you could say, well, if Lacazette takes his chance, then the game is different. But this is the problem with football. We know one thing that data and statistics has told us now is that these kinds of chances that we say, oh, he has to score there, 
Well, they're 40% chances. They're 50% chances. So you're going to miss one or two of those. And if you only create one or two of those, you put yourself under so much pressure to get it right in the moment. So for you, was this the right approach to the game? And, and how did you feel coming away from it in terms of how we executed? Well, systemically, I, I like the back three. I think it simplifies things. I think the team is bereft of confidence. I give them a positional system like this gives them a chance to have something to hold on to because it's obvious from the first two minutes of that game we were just racked with fear everything we did was reacting to what they could do so you know touching what andrew said i'm just not used to seeing arsenal go to leicester and play with such fear in all of my lifetime just not seen that before right so that took a bit of getting used to so what did he do in this game? So he had his back three in place. Got David Luiz in the in the middle there. He's picked three distributors, probably our best passing centre backs. And I was hoping they'd pass forward. They didn't. Um, holding pass back to Leno ten times. Chambers passed back to him seven times. That tells me we've got our best distributors scared to pass forward. Not great, right? So we recognise that those defenders are a bit soft around the edges when it comes to defensively, but they can play. They didn't play. They didn't play with any sort of bravery. You've got your two wing backs in place. You've got your split strikers. You've got your two in centre midfield. So when you when you split your strikers, what you're actually doing is you're actually taking the room away from your wing backs to progress up the field. So that immediately turns the back three into a back five. So for me, you're lost. You've got your midfield two, and the way he tried to support them was to put the onus on David Louis to step into the centre to try to almost play the Shaka role and hopefully push the two centre mids forward and get some support to Ozil and the Bamiyang and Lacazette when they came inside. Did it work? Not for me. I felt they were outnumbered. I felt they were outpassed. I felt they were popped. I felt that, you know, one, as always, I, I do feel our, our centre-mids follow the ball a lot. They don't hold their shape. And so I just felt there was fear all over the system. And I often talk about coaching messages. If you tell a player, stop this, stop that, I want you standing here, Abamian, can you just stand on Pereira? Make sure you stop that fullback coming forward. Lacazette, can you stand on Chilwell? Make sure you stop him coming forward. If you focus on negative messaging, when they get the ball, how can you expect them to play with flow, with timing, with the right movement, to see the pass when it's there, to play at the right time? You can't expect people to do that because your coaching emphasis is based on stopping somebody. And so when you get the ball, it's not a natural thing. Now, I often wanted, from our previous manager, a defensive strategy, but not at the cost of our offensive flow. And what we're seeing right now is no offensive flow and lots of teams being put on the pitch with an inferiority complex to stop the opposition. And we're not doing that neither. So we get this mismatch of a, of a football team and then we try to look for reasons. And, we, and I've often thought, well, you know, maybe we've lost the, disc, the connection between the coach and the players. But thinking again and looking at the game again, I think the players tried their best to absolutely carry out what the coach said. You could see it in all their movement. They were, they were foreign to my eye, what Aubameyang was doing. That means he's trying his best to absolutely do what the coach has asked him to do. But for me, he's not asked him to do the right things. And I felt... The coach actually let down the players, and I thought Leicester were a very good side, but they were they were able to play with confidence because they could see we had none, and what we were doing was literally saying, you're better than us, 
come and have a go at us. And I felt we really missed an opportunity to attack them, play them and beat them and repair what we've lost. We just chose to play a cowardly game and, and we ended up what we got. Yeah, and I mean, look, you, you can go out and try to win a game and play a game on the front foot and still not get a result. But I think, you know, the question becomes, what is your team good at doing? You know, I tweeted out, you play like Burnley, you get results like Burnley. Mission accomplished, you and I, because we're a couple points ahead of Burnley. I think our goal difference is identical to them, and our goals scored and our goals conceded are basically one different. And it's meant to be a joke, but it's sort of the point that Everybody says, oh, Burnley, they can defend, and Burnley are... You know, Burnley finish roughly mid-table, and that's creditable for them, and they're able to do that with a a defensive style and emphasizing counterattack, and that's all well and good, but, like, that's not good enough for us, and and that's where it's leading us. I do think the Kolasinac thing was a problem. You know, you look at Bellerin. uh, he He and Kola completed almost the same number of passes, although Bellerin did it at a higher percentage, but his main passes completed were to the forwards, were to Aubameyang and Ozil, whereas Kolasinac's main passes completed were to Ginduzi and Holding. So I think Kolasinac just looked a lot more tentative, and that made it a lot easier to shut down one flank, which, you know, again, makes us very predictable. You look at the way Liverpool played City, and Robertson and Alexander-Arnold were so incredibly important in that game, and we really only had one side of the pitch, and that's in large part because Tierney played midweek. So I'm not really sure what the decision-making was about there, but I think that really hurt us. Um, you know, Andrew, if you wanted to say that we were unfortunate on the day, you could talk a little bit about Lacazette's finishing. Andrew, he has not really gotten going this season, and we definitely need another goal scorer. Uh, right now, all of the focus is on Unai Emery, and rightly so, but with respect to this match in particular, it was sort of frustrating to see Lacazette fluff his lines with those chances. How do you feel about how his season's going so far and the, the chances he had against Leicester? Obviously... Uh, the injury has played a part. Um, the ankle injury, which I I don't know that we've managed that well because they knew he had an ankle injury going into the Emirates Cup game where he got taken off after a couple of minutes um, very early on and they knew he had this ankle problem and then it, it flared up again. So I think fitness clearly has been a bit of an issue for him. Um, in terms of his performance and what have you, uh, I, he, he looks to me a, a different player away from home. Like, I don't quite know what it is. Um, he's not Matt Sharp at the moment either. I think, you know, there was that one of the best pieces of football we put together in in ages that I can actually remember was a, a move which ended with, came down the left-hand side, ball played into Lacazette in the center, and, and Hector Bellerin was making a run into the middle, and it required a, a sort of a cushioned layoff from Lacazette, and I think a heavy touch um, saw that chance go begging. And maybe if he was a bit sharper, he would have been he would have been able to provide that assist. The the one where the one that he missed, I have a little bit of sympathy because it's one of those where I think he just basically he curled it beyond the defender and it went just wide. But I feel like if the ball had been on target, it would have hit the defender. He wouldn't have got it beyond the defender. Yeah. Um, but look, when you looked at the way that we played against Leicester and you looked at the job that. Lacazette and Aubameyang were being asked to do there was um, a sort of a strange defensive element to their work as well Um, they were sort of dropping into wide areas and Ozil was pushing up into the into the center forward position at times and I feel for our strikers I I think I saw a stat today saying that Aubameyang has had three shots in our last three games 
And I agree with you completely. I think we need a bit more from from Lacazette. He he uh, he's only got two goals, I think, in our last nineteen Premier League games. Um, but I I sort of have a great deal of sympathy for for our players in the sense that I don't know that we're giving them the service, particularly the strikers, we're giving them the service that they need to thrive and to score the goals that we want them to score. In the same way, I kind of feel sorry for Bernd Leno because he's overworked and far too busy and doesn't keep any clean sheets. And, you know, he must he must dream of playing behind an, an organized defense and one that dis- doesn't give up many chances. So I think there's a fitness issue with Lacazette. Um, I do wonder if, if Emery or whoever it might be is going to have to consider a system in which Lacazette doesn't start with Aubameyang because Aubameyang gets pushed out to a wide position. And I think when we have a, a an elite striker at the peak of his game, playing him on the left, even though he can do it and he can score goals from there, doesn't make a doesn't make a lot of sense. And maybe it's up to Lacazette to play his way back into the team rather than just be given the center forward position. Um, and it also brings into question what we're doing with Pepe as well. So uh, I, I have some sympathy. I think it's a, a fitness sharpness thing as much as anything, but I do think away from home, he's not quite the player he is at the Emirates. Yeah, and and I think the hard part for Emery, and I'm, I'm not saying that I feel sympathy for him on this front, but I do think it is a reminder of the, the odd squad construction we have, having bought two very expensive strikers one window apart, is that... If you're going to split your forwards wide and put Ozil in between them, then it seems like Pepe should be on the right, not Lacazette. You know, now I realize, you know, they they switched roles in that front three that it was somewhat fluid. Mm. But if you're going to ask them to sort of run the channels and and occupy the wide spaces, and Aubameyang was on the touchline quite a bit and Lacazette was was drifting in and out of center spaces, then maybe you want the more natural wide forward who can pick the ball up with the ball at his feet and beat a man. You know, I, I think, Clive, one of the things that really frustrated me about this game is something that did again in the, in the Wolves game, by the way, which is I did not feel that Leicester looked very assured defensively. When we were able to put them under some pressure at the back, their positioning wasn't great. They were scrambling a lot. They were hacking away clearances. You know, Lacazette had the three different chances in the box where he was able to find space. There were balls that, that went through their, their box that were cleared, but, you know, could just as easily have had an Arsenal player running onto him if we had, you know, more players in the attacking third. So did, did you find that as well, that maybe... We we could have had more success here had we been a little braver because their defense to me did not look as as assured as it as it might have. I felt he missed an opportunity here. I think he didn't quite do what he should have done. Right, so a bit of hindsight, but holding for me didn't look great. Didn't look fit. Um, looked really tentative. You put him next to um, Kolasinic, you're asking for trouble. Right, it's quite interesting that. Um, they made substitutions in that area, brought on Andre Gray, and they really focused on our left-hand side. And I was, and I said it before it happened, I could see that we were getting tired. They made that sub, they added more speed out there, and they really attacked us on our left-hand side. And by doing that, they're forcing our best player to come back and help out. Eventually, he's going to get tired and not do that. So I thought that was a bad pick. It worries me that he probably thinks that Tierney can play in the back four, can't play in a, as a wing back. I don't want Tierney in that shoebox. I want him out of it. He played Pepe and Aubameyang at Anfield, and we broke quite well on that day. Similar type, up front, spit striker type attack. Why not learn from the previous data point where it went well 
and play Pepe out there instead of playing Lacazette out there, who doesn't want to be there. He'd rather be in the centre of a three or of a front two that are playing close together. Again, so I would have played Socrates on the left-hand side. I don't understand why we didn't have him in that situation. And Chambers, I, I get that, and that's for his best position. So I don't think we quite committed to the system with with a view to us having the ball. And I think that's that's a big miss because now you're missing opportunities to maximise potential. And that, for me, is a coach's job. And so you're misreading players and you're not quite giving us the chance. So within this framework, we saw some good pieces of play. I've got to say, in the recent games, it was probably one of the better games. Am I saying that because I've just not seen anything decent for a long, long time? I'm not so sure. Am I saying that because I like this system? I'm not so sure. But I just saw some signs of recovery. But it's nowhere near enough. For the time he's had, the time the players have had together, I don't go into the summer signing so much because I do feel they're not really showing yet. I mean, Sobias is injured. Pepe hasn't hasn't really landed. Tierney's just landed. You know, Luis... Probably he's, he's okay, but we could say he could be a fundamental reason why we're not playing so well because he makes us play so deep. And I think our distances are too big, as you heard mm. me say yeah. before. I think it's an issue. But if you're going to do that, do it in the back three where we're set up for it. But he's got to be far braver, far more aggressive. We've got to get up and we've got to get our line up because we look so easy at pick off. But we haven't really seen, an, in my opinion, a squad improvement, even though money's been spent. We've seen players go out, players come in that haven't really added. The players that went out, particularly uh, Mikataran and Iwobi, they were decent first-team players. They weren't going to take us to the promised land. But the, the players that have come in have not even reached their levels yet. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And so we're, we're, not at, we're not stronger. Don't I can't sit there and say we're stronger. I'm saying that we've got more potential. We've got more youth underpinning the first eleven. We've got more potential, but we're not there. And so if I try to look at it from a club perspective, what do I do? Do I do I I have to wait? Is this I'm moving on now, Elliot, until I'm no doubt you're gonna go there. Yeah. Um is this the guy that's gonna take us there? Right? Is this the guy that's connecting to the players? Is this the guy that's connecting our club? And I, you've got to ask yourself some questions, right? You really have. Because I've never felt more disconnected as a fan all of my time. Yeah, it's ugly. I mean, it's, it's really ugly time. right now. You know you know what's weird, weird is, I mean, like, you can basically go on Twitter now and say Unai Emery is a bum. And you don't get anybody saying anything back. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying you should go out there and name call or anything like that. It's just... You know, there was there was always there have always been factions within the fan base, and and right now it feels fairly unified. And you know, I, I have Elliot, to say, yeah, Elliot, can ahead. I say something? Yeah, please can I say something. I'm, I'm going to spin this one out there, right? We, as a fan base, we have to stop reacting with individuals, right? Because what's going on in this club is beyond any single individual. For me, it's a collection of variables that have all all happening at a similar time, and some of them repeating themselves. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, if I said to you, give me a, what you think the main problem is, and I ask Andrew the same question, we may we end up with different answers. We could probably give five different answers, you know, each. You see what I mean? We can go all the way down from the ownership to where we've been historically to the, coming out of the Wenger regime. 
but, but can, I, can I make a point about that? To all of these things. There's a range of outcomes, right? There's a ra- I totally agree with you that there are several issues that run through the club that need to be addressed within the playing staff, at the coaching ranks. It, certainly it looks like at boardroom level now as well, although you know we, we can debate that in just a minute. But there's a range of outcomes, right? And you might say this is a club that should be pushing for Champions Leagues and titles. But where this club is right now, top four is certainly well within the range of outcomes. And I think the fact that we do not look like we are in the running for that is directly related to the coach. I think that this coach is having us hit the bottom of our range of outcomes, if that makes sense. So while I would say our range of outcomes is lower than it should be, it should be where Liverpool's is, you know, and and it isn't. Um, it, within the range of outcomes, I think this coach has us operating near the bottom of them. And, and here's the thing, you know, Andrew, when I watched Leicester play in this game, the thing that was so interesting to me is this is Arsenal. Arsenal coming to the king power, and they were playing football without a net. Evans and Sonyoku on the midway, you know, on the on, on the halfway line, fullbacks pushed up, midfielders pressing into the attacking third, closing down the space and pushing players into the penalty area to to create pressure on us. And that's mm-hmm. that's football without a net, and it can backfire. And certainly they did get picked off a couple times on the counter where we had some good chances. But they stuck to their guns, they stuck with that approach, and it bore fruit. And 17 shots later, they come away with two goals. We miss the chance that falls to us. And it works out. And and what they do by playing that way is they give themselves the chance to create enough to overcome what we might create in response. It's not always going to work, but it's the kind of football that you feel like Arsenal should be playing. And I'm curious to get your take on watching them play that way because, you know, I, I see people saying, well, maybe Leicester's squad is just better. You know, Ndidi is a great holding player. Madison and Tillemans are very gifted, technical attacking midfielders. And, you know, who would get into the Leicester team? But I think it's impossible to play, to say because if I do believe if you let Arsenal players play in that same way, you would see more of their qualities shine through. So how do you feel about you know the way Rodgers set up Leicester to play and how it gets the best out of the kind of talent he has within as a comparison, so to speak, to what we're doing? Yeah, I thought it was quite interesting. The first few minutes of the game were really quite cagey yes. because Leicester weren't quite sure what we were doing because maybe they'd been prepared for a uh, you know, the, the, we played a back four the entire season in the Premier League. So this was the first time we'd used a back three. And you could see them trying to work it out for a little while at the start. And the start of the game was a, a little bit cagey. And then they realized that our defensive approach was just to get every man behind the ball, like a newly promoted team going to, you know, Old Trafford or, dare I say, the way they used to come to the Emirates. You know, it was it was unsophisticated um, organization from Arsenal and they were able to work that out quite quickly and then they realized that if they popped a couple of quick passes through midfield they could break beyond Torreira and Gendouzi saw them do that quite a number of times in the second half where it looks crowded and all of a sudden they pull off what I can only assume is a little bit of a rehearsed training ground move where uh, ball comes in, it's flicked off to one side, the guy comes back, picks it up the other side, and then they drive towards our goal. And we're running backwards, and as Clive pointed out, when we've got David Luiz in the team, we defend way too deep. And if you look at the two goals, I think you can see that we get pushed far too deep into our own box, and they have the space, A, to score the first goal, and B, score the second goal. And I just, I just can't associate the way that we play with this coach, with what I want or expect Arsenal to be, because 
I just feel like I, what, what wound me up this week was this um, Sky Sports interview that Unai Emery did. And he talked about how he was disappointed, but also how he was realistic, how he was realistic about our current form because of the young players and because of the circumstances, which maybe we'll talk about or maybe we won't, but I talked about on, on the Arscast mm, Extra yeah. today, you know, these sort of outside factors which have affected the team's ability to play football. And I thought, this is just too small time for Arsenal to continue with. Like, it's not realistic for Arsenal to take two points from games against Sheffield United, Wolves and Crystal Palace, particularly when two of those games were at home and we were 2-0 up in one of them. It's not realistic for Arsenal to have won just six of their last 19 Premier League games. Whatever factors you want to take into account, um, you know, if we had a massive injury crisis, maybe you could make a case for it. We don't. We haven't really had uh, many injuries at all this um, this season. So that 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 um, quote about how he alone can see that this is realistic for Arsenal just set all the alarm bells ringing in my head because that's what he thinks is what he can get out of this squad. He thinks it's realistic for Arsenal to go to Leicester and play like that. He thinks it's realistic for Arsenal to throw away two goal leads and for it not to be a big deal because it's a big deal for us. You know, we're watching um, a football club which has stated ambitions of winning the, the Premier League and getting back into the Champions League. And the coach is telling us it's unrealistic for us to be doing any better than we're doing right now. So, yeah, I think it all just feeds into the way that he sets his teams up. And I think it's self-defeating. And I think we saw ultimately what, what what the result of that was against Leicester, where we were all right, we were in the game, it wasn't bad, and then they scored two goals, and then he comes out and says, well, they scored the first goal, and after that, we couldn't get anything That's from the crazy. game. <laughs> yeah, that That's was a crazy ridiculous. comment. You know, your teams have, have thrown away leads. It's just, it's, it's just, he's just not right in terms of the character of the club or the team or what the team should be. It's just, he is at odds with with what we want or what we need. Yeah, and, and I don't know what he's scared of in terms of just going out and trying to go for it because at this point, nothing else has worked and that's the one thing he hasn't really tried. It is kind of funny that he says, well, once they scored the first goal, that there was nothing we could do in the game because I would mm. argue, well, when we score the first goal, there's nothing we can do in the game and when they score the first goal, there's nothing we can do in the game. So maybe we just can't do anything in the game. Like maybe that's just the takeaway. Um and, and, you know, that that is the thing. He does feel like he is becoming a bit of an excuse maker. There is the thing about the outside circumstances. He raised the point that we're ahead of Spurs and United. So, you know, that shows how hard the league is and how well we're doing. And he's he's starting to point to a lot of extrinsic factors as a defense of the job he is doing, which is not a great sign. Um, you know, he has to at some point step up and take ownership of the fact that the performances aren't good. This business of playing like crap and not getting results and him saying tactically it worked the way we wanted to every game – you, you can't be saying that. And well, he, he even did that after Leicester as well. He said yeah. the players carried out the game plan. It's like, well, I don't know if that's his way of trying to pr protect. Plan, is it? Yeah. Maybe that's his way of trying to defend the players. I don't know. But you know, Clive, that mm. is the thing. Like I, 
I watched Leicester play without a net. And look, I know that football. That's the football that got us a 6-0 at Chelsea and a 5-1 or whatever it was, 5-0 at Anfield, you know, around Arsenal's thousandth game. And we were pushing fullbacks up and center backs on the halfway line and getting counterattacked to pieces. So I've seen how bad that can go. But you get your rewards. You're going to lose some games because you get countered, they'll get a goal, and you'll lose 1-0 even though you have 20 shots and it doesn't go for you. But more games than not, when you put the pressure on the opposition, you get more chances to score. They outshot us 17-8. to We probably had the biggest chances in the match or thereabouts. We didn't take them because they're 50-50s. But they had, what, eight shots on target, and we had one. And eventually, the pressure tells. I mean, it shows you how aggressive they were that one of their best chances was their defensive midfielder, you know, Ndidi, standing unmarked on the penalty spot, smacking one off the crossbar. And I would just like to say to Unai Emery, if I could, you've tried everything but letting your players go express themselves in an attacking way and and really putting numbers forward into the attack with the exception of, you know, one of the Europa League games and, and a League Cup game. So, Let's move on a little later in the match because I do want to get to the the after-match antics and communications that have come out and noise, so to speak. Clive, I I was doing commentary on Hot Mike uh, during the game and I said after they scored the first goal and he made no changes that Unai Emery is sitting on his hands and watching his Arsenal career drift away. It felt like he was paralyzed in that moment. How do you explain the failure to react to going a goal behind, the failure to bring on Pepe, the failure to change the setup in a game where we had not had a shot, I think, in half an hour, where all the pressure was starting to tell on us, and we've now gone behind. The game plan has been blown up. How do you explain his failure to react to that? I think he's lost confidence. I really do. Um, I think I tried to bring myself back to last season before um, Ramsey got injured, and we were doing okay. We were on track, and then... We had these games ahead of us, you know, Brighton Palace, and we had these games, and we managed to blow them. But I think at that point, I don't think he was remotely concerned. I thought he felt, I'm going to get the Europa League final. Don't worry about it. We, we storm through Valencia and get to the final. And I just remember the camera flicking to his face at the end of that game, and I thought, you're shattered. You've just missed out, and you know it. And I think he lost confidence, and I think the players lost confidence in him. When you're an authoritarian-type manager, everything you say, you make people do double sessions, all the rest of it, but there must be an end goal to maintain the belief. And when you don't achieve it, then you get questioned. I'm sure he's been questioned internally. I'm sure he's been questioned by, I heard you say earlier, Andrew, about some of the players that have left the club in the summer, why they left. That needs to be looked at. Now, why was Monreal so keen to get away? Why was Koscielny so keen to get away? They're two players that, I have to say, when they're fit, we missed them yesterday. No, we missed them against Leicester, sorry, because we missed that left centre half. We missed that aggressive defender. We've now replaced those players with people that are not as good and not as aggressive in their starting position. So we're not as strong there. Regardless of age, we know they're in the, they were coming towards the end of their careers anyway. So we're in a situation where I think he's lost confidence. I think he's lost authority. And I think because of that, he's reaching and reaching and reaching. And whereas last year when he was reaching, I felt it was to you know change subtly to the opposition while still maintaining our play. This year, I feel it's completely the other way. And I think he's frozen. And when you lose confidence, as anybody loses confidence, you just don't react so well to pressure and decision-making. 
And I feel that fear and lack of confidence all over the players. There was nothing between the two teams apart from two aspects, energy and confidence. Leicester played with energy and confidence and belief in what they were doing. We played in a hopeful manner, hoping things would work out, hoping somebody would step up, hoping someone put the ball in the net, take that first and only chance that we get. And that's what's wrong at the moment. I think why there is such a feeling of agreement is that we don't like the approach and how this feels. You know, it feels wrong. It doesn't feel like the club we all grew up and supported. It doesn't feel like an Arsenal team. It feels like a much smaller team. And there is no need for it. No one's halved our budget. You know, while wage bills must be doubles Leicester's wage bill. So you, there's, there's not a financial reason for it. There's still a level of investment ongoing. We can blame the recruitment over many years, but there's a level of investment on that pitch. And we need to own who we are. And we're just not. And I think that's what Andrew's alluding to. That doesn't fit right with me. And then now we pick at the minutiae of the of the um, decisions he's making. You know what, Elliot? I don't I don't care really anymore because he's he's he disconnected us all anyway. And so if he makes a good decision with one or two players, fine. They don't believe in him. They're not playing like that. So it, it's it's just I mean it's just it's just literally broken. He's n- I, I don't expect him to make the right decisions anymore. Because I honestly feel he's, he's managing from a position of fear. Yeah, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't look like he has a command over the squad and over the decisions he's making. And there's so many from a tactical standpoint, from a usage standpoint. You know, the problem now, Andrew, is that inevitably, in addition to starting to pile onto the coach, people are going to pile onto the players. Um, it, it's understandable. It happens when the form turns bad, very, very bad. But it's unfortunate because I, I think it is difficult to evaluate them. I'm seeing a lot of now criticism coming in for a 20-year-old central midfielder who has already played over 1,100 minutes in all competitions this season, you know, and, and has been asked to anchor a, a diamond or you know p- play in a two in a in a back three and play this role and that role. So I, I'm I'm curious to get your take on how we evaluate players in the context of a team that doesn't have a clear identity or a coach that has a clear plan for them. I you know, I hear people saying Ndidi Tillemans and, and Madison is a much better midfield than what we have, and it may well be true. I mean, we may not have as good a team as we think we do, but where do you fall on trying to evaluate the, the quality of the players in light of the fact that they're being given such muddled instructions? I'm not sure Ndidi, Tielemans, and uh, Madison would have been considered a better midfield than ours before Brendan Rodgers took over. So I think you can you can see that the right manager can bring out more from players. It's very difficult. I, I thought this a bit towards the end of the Arsene Wenger era as well, where collectively the performances were so bad and so disjointed and the uh, <clears throat> the various issues that Arsene had, you know, he he'd clearly lost some of his aura and some of his authority within the dressing room. You know, you could see it in some of the performances and, and what have you. So it was difficult to to properly assess some of the players. Some of them you looked at and you went, okay, I can see you're not good enough. You're not, you know, you're not going to do it. Um, But I, I just think that they must know that he is a dead man walking at this point. And even even his team selections and even what he does himself – only adds to the confusion you know he 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 spoke during the summer about how how he really wanted a winger because that would be 
a way for him to, you know, to connect that that part of the pitch and to to add something to our attack. And he doesn't really play Pepe. Maybe it's because he wanted Zaha. Who knows? But he doesn't seem to fancy Pepe that much. Um, and he has been slow to adapt. But I do feel like overall, when I think about the squad and I think about the players in it, I think there's far more potential in those players than we're seeing. And I can only think that a a new manager might be able to get more out of them. That's that's the bottom line for me, is that he, he's been given 18 months to to develop a style of play and to develop a team at Arsenal. And Rodgers in nine months at Leicester has done 10 times as much as Emery has done. So it's really about the right, the right guy getting the right mix onto the pitch with the, uh, the right system, making them feel like they're part of something, instilling belief and confidence in them rather than hear chambers after he's gone. This is another new system for us. So, you know, it's a little bit difficult, you know, as a player, you don't want that. It's all right to be tactically flexible, but you, you want to believe and you want to know what you're supposed to be doing when you go out in the pitch. And I think over the course of the Emery reign, we've, we've come to realize that the players, if they understand the instructions, either can't carry them out or they don't quite know what the instructions are. And they're just kind of, given it their best shot, you know? So I think there are some players who are underperforming, but, but, but under this manager, I don't really see the point in too much individual analysis. Yeah. He's going to fucking kill this kid. This, this star young central midfielder who steps up from league de in France and plays 2000 minutes for us last season, you know, pretty well. And was, up until a couple games ago, widely considered our best player this season, him or Aubameyang. I mean, Aubameyang, Every best player has to be non-Obamiang category, but like, you know, and, and he's getting sucked into the morass, and it's understandable. He's 20, he's playing in a different system every game, the team is totally dysfunctional, and yeah, he's not going to have a stormer every game, but I don't see how you can be great in a midfield that doesn't want the ball, that doesn't emphasize attacking play, that doesn't give you options going forward, where the best pass is a backwards pass. I don't see how that's supposed to happen, and so he's going to fucking kill this kid. He's going to take this 20-year-old gem, and he's going to kill him. And he's going to kill Torreira, and there's already noises that Torreira wants to leave the club. And Aubameyang and Lacazette don't want to resign. And it all is going to start to flow back in this conversation to then what the hell Raul and Edu are doing if they are doing anything at all. So let's finish the game with this one little tidbit, Clive, which is simply you and I have been talking about Arsenal twice a week, three times a week for years now. And over the last few weeks, match weeks, games, the one thing that seems to come up towards the tail end of these conversations is the same every time, which is these games end structureless, totally and completely chaotic basketball structureless nonsense. And so I'm curious to get your take on what it says about Emery and and why it is exactly that for the last 20 minutes of games, there is just absolutely no coherent plan on the pitch whatsoever for a manager who seems to want to be meticulous in preparing for every game once plan a goes plan b just seems to be chaos that's the best way i can put it yeah it's, it's all about scoreboard pressure right so we're either we're either at home one or two goals down so we're desperately trying to get back so we end the game completely with overlapping center backs etc or we're um or we're too far away and then people start 
you know, we were behind and people start playing as they like and going where they like to get the ball. And that's down to the personality of the players that we have and the poor instructions that they're getting about what they're allowed to do and what they can't do. I, I what you know, talking about the midfield, could you imagine if um, Ozil, Guendouzi and Torreira were pushing them back and making Leicester play in their half. Let's see how good Madison and Telemans are on the back Amen. for how good they Amen. are there. Amen, absolutely. You know, that's, that's all that happened at the weekend. They were able to play in areas where their strengths were magnified, and our players were playing in areas where they were running back towards their goal. And, and Aubameyang's running off the shoulder of, of Johnny Evans instead of collecting the ball from Kolasinac on the left touchline. So, line. so <laughs> it's just all about putting people in positions on the pitch where they can maximise their potential. And that's it's a, it's a big thing for me, this, you know, when you have a player under your under your control, you have their careers under your control. So you have to, you, you are duty-bound to put them on the pitch in a place where they can succeed. And I feel he he doesn't do that. And you know what, I, I feel almost bad criticising an individual, but it's it's fairly obvious. Uh, and I, I just don't want to come across that way. It's fairly obvious that we're just not giving people the best chance to succeed. And I, and I think that's a, that's a major thing. Whether it's, uh, I say we, <laughs> I almost don't want to pin it down to him, but it's obvious that he's the person controlling our footballs, our football on pitch, in-game strategy. He controls that, and he's not allowing us to improve and get better. And that's not going to change. And so when we look at the current form, and we do the old hounded players, Arsenal players will get in the Leicester team, well, we got these recent memories in our mind, and we then look at the quality of our players and... Yes, Leicester have bought very well. They've got a good young side. They've recruited really well. But they are absolutely at their maximum right now. This is the best they're going to be. And they've got a manager on the front foot. They're on the front foot. They're tearing through teams. They're scoring nine goals in a game. This is it. Right? So they were full of confidence. Yet they still were hesitant about us. And we didn't take them. We didn't have the confidence to take them back. And so what I really want to see, and I don't care who does it, I want to see an approach I recognise going into football matches. I want to see us just turn up and take people apart, or at least try to. I just can't take this um, inferiority complex much longer. Yeah, he just, I got news for you. You have to get something right at some point. Like, that, that's it. You know, you can have the best will in the world or the best ideas, but if you don't get anything right ever... You can't keep your job. And Andrew, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because he gets things wrong and then he goes and gets the same things wrong. Like this whole Ozil thing, if you want to take a stand and freeze Ozil out, you got to freeze Ozil out and you got to be right about it and you got to stand by it. The crazy shit about this is it's like last season never happened. He froze him out. He relented over some social media pressure from the best I can tell. Ozil came back into the side and we played some of our best football with him in there. And then it's a muddled mess. This season... Same thing. The players who deserve to play are playing. He's he's not playing. He's not playing. And then he comes back because he's under pressure. And Ozil looks like one of our best players. And so you say, well, what was that all about? Could we have maybe picked up a few more points a couple months ago if Ozil was playing? I mean, I'm not saying he's a panacea. That's not my point. It's just the point that, like, <laughs> there, there doesn't seem to be any consistency to the decisions that he makes or the reasoning behind it. And I'm curious, you know, to get your take on, on something like the Ozil situation where the guy appears to take a stand, but then backs down from it. And now you wonder what the stand was all about. I mean, how is that going to resonate also with the players when they say, oh, he could have been handy to have a couple months ago back when he was not even in the match day squad. So 
do you get the feeling that he just continues to repeat the same mistakes, and as a result, it, it has to have a knock-on effect for how the players view his authority? Yeah, I think we saw it last season with Oza. We saw it with Ramsey. Then he needed them. Then he talked about how important they were. Um, it, I feel like it's been done to death, though, this one. You know, the Ozil thing. Um, like, there was, there was no good reason for him not to be involved at stages this season. Um, unless something crazy, crazy happened behind the scenes. And we would have heard about it. You know, Arsenal are... are, are as we've seen, um, capable of leaking stories, which uh, is supposed to reflect well on Emery and uh, reflect badly on on other people. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't know what more to say about the Ozil thing. I think there are games where even if he wasn't going to start, he should have been on the bench. We might have had more um, points on the board, but he's just a flip flopper. He doesn't have the courage of his convictions with regards to formation. So why would he with an individual? He, he doesn't have to ha- seem it. to have any consistent idea that underpins his philosophy. You know, um, it's not pleasant seeing players get frozen out, but if you feel the player has to be frozen out, then that's your decision. Um, it's not a decision you can go back on the minute you feel you're under pressure. Well, exactly. I mean, they told he said, this is a strategy. And I, I, I'd say that probably didn't go down too well at board level where he sort of said, well, you know, this is a decision that we have taken as a club, whatever. I'm paraphrasing here, mm. but that was the nuts and bolts of it. And then within, what, a week, Ozil is back in the side. And the reason that he was played at Anfield was because Emery wanted to bring him back into the team for Wolves. So he wanted to give him some minutes, which is why he was taken off midway through the second half at Anfield, despite the fact that he was playing very well. So, you know, it's all well and good having a having a tough stance on something. But if it's completely um if it's expedient because you're under pressure or because you need something from that player, you know, what does that say about what does that say about you as a as a man? Well, it, I don't it, know. It's it, it's yeah. especially if you have to be the leader of men. You know what I mean? Like you can, you know, as a parent, the one thing I can tell you is I can parent my child any way I want. But if I'm inconsistent, I get a shitty child. You know what I mean? Like, uh, mm. I think one of the most important things you can do when you have to be in a leadership position is be very clear about what you expect and then hold people to that. Um, and I, I think we are seeing a situation now where Emery is just unclear with a lot of the things he does. And, you know, I'm sorry, but I look at Frank Lampard and I look at Brendan Rodgers and I don't think it's rocket science. I don't think Sonyoku and, and Evans are a great, you know, central defensive pairing. I certainly don't think Kasper Schmeichel is next level spectacular keeper. I don't think Chelsea have great defenders. But, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to say, I have some good attackers, and if I push enough pressure up into the attacking half, I can I can make a difference in the part of the pitch where I have an advantage. And I, it's just crazy to me. It's very simple, Elliot. It's very simple. Yeah. Authority, confidence, and belief. Right? And we've, lo- we'll, we've lost all of that. Yeah. And... The other teams have it. You can go look at West Ham. Exactly the same thing happened with them at the moment. Nobody's smiling on the pitch. Did you see, when's the last time you saw an Arsenal player happy on the pitch? They look so moody. Look at Lacazette. He looks so moody. It's a simple intangible. We've just got none of it. We've got no confidence, no belief. And the manager's lost authority. And it screams on what we're seeing on the game. Yeah. Well, so, so let me ask you, Clive. I mean, the game ends and, and you can sort of 
ask the question about what it does for our top four chances, and maybe we'll just finish with that very, very briefly at the end. But some of the stuff that has come out after that is, you know, I have always been of the belief that getting a vote of confidence, um, a manager or coach getting a vote of confidence, is the surest sign that they are on their way out. This doesn't feel like that. Um, There's been a lot of reporting, a lot of it by David Ornstein for The Athletic, that the team is firmly behind, the club is firmly behind Emery and what he's doing and his project, and that, um, you know, there was reference to the atmosphere. Um, Now, look, we have to be clear. Whatever David Ornstein was told, the way he writes it may have a certain nuance that wasn't intended. There was a subsequent communication that came out from the club in a sort of all-hands meeting today that I think has tried to tighten up some of that language uh, and clarify that they are also frustrated with results and performances. But my first question to you is a very basic one. Do you take this as at face value? Do you take it at face value that what they are briefing, that they are behind Emery, is accurate? Or are you inclined to believe that there may be more than meets the eye to that statement? At time of writing, I believe it to be accurate. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> I, I also think what they're trying to do is they're reacting as well. And they're trying to manage us. They're trying to manage the fans. They're trying to make sure they control the narrative over this international break. We haven't won. We've got two weeks to talk to each other. And it's not going to be pretty. And they're trying to manage that. And I think they're failing really badly because by saying this, it's not going to quiet everyone down. It's going to make us go into more despair, right? So um, I think it's all about managing us. Now, if I'm if I'm the club, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, I've got one or two ways to go. Either I react to what I'm seeing and all the numbers and all the results, all the the lack of goals and our, our goal difference. You know, you can it's all there for us. We haven't got to be whiskers to see it. Or do I say, no, I'm not reacting. If I react again by doing something, I'm letting this club be managed by noise and not by my strategy, which, by the way, none of us know and never been shared and none of us believe in, but there you go. It's a strategy behind that we're not really aware of. And so if the club have got this strategy in place and they are comfortable with the person in charge, then, okay, we'll, we'll sit and watch next opportunity for recruitment comes in January. Um, so we can sit and watch and see if there's something that changes. My suspicion is that they are always going to go for him for two years. I think it costs them less money to take him out in the end of the season. And I think they're going to, they may end up writing off this season with a view to doing something else next season to the next phase of Arsenal Football Club. That's what I think is going to happen because that's what Arsenal have shown me over previous years. They don't make decisions very quickly. What I'd like to see happen is a much more decisive football club and actually do something and set an, set up an accountability structure by how we act, not by what we say. And I think I'd like to see that happening, but I'm generally, generally not sure. I think my hope is getting ahead of my brain. <laughs> And I think, I honestly think that we're going to end up with this manager for the season and we go again next year. I don't, yeah, I think he's gone. I do think he's gone. I think he'll be gone soon, actually. I I have come around on this, and I think that no matter what anybody is writing or being briefed, um, they are buying time to make the decision. And I, I think he will be sacked. I, You know, Andrew, this is... You can look at other clubs and you just sort of recognize end times when you see them. Mm. You know, the, the stuff about Obama Yang now coming out and the social media nonsense that's happening and the war with Ozil and the briefing that he's being backed and the Shaka thing with the captaincy. 
you can blame Shaka and you can blame Oba and you can blame the fans and you can do whatever you want, but all of this external toxicity is swirling around because there is a weak point at the club at the as the head coach. Um, you know, the, the, the job of the head coach is to unify everybody. I mean, that may be asking a bit much, but you look at Klopp at Liverpool and that, that is his job to do it with the football that you play, with the results that you get, with the communications you put out. And I think you'd have to say that Emery's football philosophically is poor, his results are poor, and his communication is poor, and his leadership is poor. And all of those things combined lead to players acting out and fans losing their patience and players and fans feeling at odds with each other instead of feeling together. So, you know, are you worried about this level of toxicity and disconnect between the club and the fans? Or do you think that maybe, just maybe, when Emery goes, this will be easier to heal than we might think? Uh, Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, You know, I think... Think about all the issues we've had with individual players since Unai Emery took over. Has any other club had as many? When you think about it, when you think about the Xhaka thing, this is your captain uh, doing what he did and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. The Ozil thing, the Ramsey thing last season, which, you know... uh, um, United under Jose felt like this at times, you know? Yeah, maybe it did. Maybe it did. I I can't go into details. You know, the Koscielny thing, Mm -hmm. who... He basically pissed all over his entire Arsenal career to get away. Um, couldn't wait to get away, and he wasn't happy with the way that he was used last season under Unai Emery when he made his uh, comeback from the Achilles thing. Monreal as well, as Clive said earlier on, we have a we have a scenario right now with uh, with Pepe, where you know he's saying one thing about using him and how he he needs to adapt and he needs to play to adapt, but he's not going to play him. Um, you know, there are so many little situations like this. Would a new man be able to come in and make everything feel better? It would depend entirely on who that is. Um, because, uh, we may have somebody with the force of personality or the, the strength of personality or the charisma or the character, whatever it is to come in and unify everybody and get everybody on side. And, and, you know, even somebody who's not the best man for the job. You look at Solskjaer at United. The reason he he was um, so successful and so well-liked when he took over was just from not being Mourinho. So I think whoever comes in has got that, that bump of just not being Emery. Um, and the only reason I can think of... As long as it's not Mourinho, that is, Andrew. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Let's not go down the dark, the dark timeline. <laughs> no talking about the bad man. Yeah, the bad man. Um, I mean, Arsenal have all the information, all the stats. They look at the league table. They can they can see what's going on. The only reason I can think of for them not pulling the trigger is that they don't have a fucking clue who to put in. They just don't have a clue. And that can be the only reason for me because we had this statement or this briefing from David Ornstein and... Um, my suspicion is that that was somebody talking to Ornstein to try and take the heat off everything, but they just made it a lot worse. And then Arsenal, of course, have put out a statement this evening, which, you know, is like, of course, we love our wonderful fans. We would never disrespect them, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, so there's obviously they're, they're scrabbling to, to try and make something happen. But, but on a performance level, nothing that they're seeing could make them think that this guy is the right guy anymore 
And mm. the only reason to stick with him is because you don't have a clue. I don't. I don't really buy the idea that it's it's a money thing. I I don't really think that's that's the issue because you can't you can't save ten million this month and throw away forty, fifty million, sixty million in May when you do, you don't get the Champions League. I just don't think they have a clue who to bring in or who to replace him with. Yeah, I mean, maybe <laughs> I, I'll tell you what sad. I I have to tell you I I don't think it matters. I I think that giving it to Freddie as a caretaker in the short term. You know, and maybe you say he can also interview, but we're going to conduct a thorough search. I think that'd be fine. I really, guys. I mean, maybe I'm just a Pollyanna and and never knew it all along. I was I was Mr. Positive Gunner. Um, like I think he's going to get sacked, and I think it's going to happen soon. And I, I, I don't know that I necessarily believe that the statements put out change that. I've seen too much, certainly in sport in the U.S. I mean, it is almost comical how quickly. You know, we are 100% behind our coach, turns in and he's gone. Like, I, the Rams, actually, ironically, had just given Jeff Fisher a brand new contract. One of the worst coaches in the league gave him a brand new contract and fired him almost right away after that and put in the guy who took them to the Super Bowl last year. Now, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that there's necessarily any comparison to be drawn there because I don't think Stan Kroenke runs his clubs. I think the people he hires runs his clubs, which brings us to the focus on Raul and Adu and... Look, Clive, I think we one area where you and I definitely agree is coaches are going to come and go. If we have the wrong backroom staff, we're fucked. You know, you look at United, yeah. it's not LVG and and uh, Jose and um, Moyes and Solskjaer that are the problem. It's Woodward. They're, that's the problem. Um, because he's picking the managers and he's conducting the, the ridiculous squad building that has left them in the situation they're in. If Raul and Edu are the wrong guy, we're in deep trouble. Wrong guys, we're we're in deep trouble. So I'm curious, has the confusion around the communication surrounding Emery, the hesitance to make the change when it's clearly needed, at least to this point, some of the things that have happened this season, has it dented your enthusiasm and confidence about the job they're doing and about what that means for us long term? Uh, this is my. This is another worry, shall we say? We judge Raul on based on recruitment, and we all got excited in the summer, and some of that hasn't really come to fruition yet. But you know, we sort of like the direction what we're going in, particularly with the younger players. But you really judge these people in adversity. You don't. You don't judge them when a Pepe arrives. That's you know, that's nice work. But you know what? To spend our money, spend the club's money, that's generated. And they got in a, a, a very high potential player. Great. We all get excited. We want to see him. But this is when you really earn your money. When the club's on a bit of a rocky road. And I think this, you know, what they have to realize that the currency for us measuring them is really now. It's not in the, in the summer. It's now. And when they have to make decisive decisions to not throw away another year. This club has a, a real habit of throwing away years and missed opportunity. There needs to be action. And you need to define yourself. And this is how you define yourself. You don't define yourself by spending money. You define yourself by your actions and decisions that you make and the speed by which you make them. So the club is in between eras and it's forging a new identity, a new structure behind it. And I'm, uh, I'm all for it, you know, structurally and organizationally. It looks great on the on org chart, on paper. But you know what? You've got to pop out of that org chive now and again and do something and say something and really own your position, own your role. And this is what they need to do now. Otherwise, our confidence in those guys will start to flag because we'll remember this moment. And I haven't heard Eddie's voice. I haven't heard Raoul's voice for a while. 
And so this is when they get judged. And I, and I, I want to see it, and I really do. I want to see I want to hear it. I want to see some action. And if we don't, we'll move away from Shaka. We'll move away from Kalashnik. We'll move away from Emery. We'll start to focus on the ownership, the structure, and what these people are doing. And we'll do that really, really quickly. That's what we're like. You know, that's what we're like. And so they do need to step up. I think we're doing that already, though, Clive. Sorry just to cut in there, because what's happened this weekend with the the sort of communication briefings, these back-channel briefings, um, they've really put the spotlight on Edu and Raul in a big, big way. Because one is a technical director, the other is the head of football, and they're the guys that are supposed to make the decisions. So I suspect, inadvertently, the club in an effort to try and deflect attention back onto the manager and away from them, they put Edu and Raul in a position where they're going to have to be proactive. They're going to have to make decisions. They're not going to be allowed to sit on their hands. They're not going to be excused if this club continues to play poorly and drop points under this manager. If our, if our top four chances are, are, well, I mean, I think they're slim as it is right now, but if they get worse, People aren't really going to blame Unai Emery anymore because we've seen what Unai Emery is about. And if you go to a shit barber every time and he gives you a bad haircut, it's your fault if you keep going to the shit barber, you know? So I don't know who the person above the barber is, though, but that's a, that's a bad analogy. But um, it is now on the board. It's on them to make the decisions and it's on them to to recognize the problems and I think the statement that came out today A was the first time that there's been any acknowledgement whatsoever that results are not where they should be and performances are not where they want them to be um, you know they were scrabbling to to sort of calm the frustration that the David Ornstein piece in The Athletic generated and it was verging, I would say, having thought about it for a little while, it's verging on the the vote of confidence. Yeah. Mm, it really I, I think it is. By, by the way, Andrew, I will say, you know, I actually found your analogy to be very apt because I think we can all agree that Unai Emery has been going to a pretty terrible barber for a pretty long time. Well, listen, he's so, got a lot more hair than I do, so yeah. I'm not going to criticize him for that. Glass houses, fair enough. Uh, I've got plenty of it, so I can criticize him for that. Um, I... I would say this as, as we start to wrap up. I agree with you. And look, the one big difference that we all have to adjust to, I, I think David Ornstein's reporting is well-sourced from within the club. I think the club may say that maybe wasn't the message we want to put out. Having said that, Raul and Josh Kroenke, these, they have shown they're willing to speak directly to the fans when they want to. You know, Josh got a, a gaggle of reporters together and even Arsenal podcasters and... Uh, Andrew, you can certainly be offended on our behalf that it wasn't us, but uh, the wonderful <laughs> Gooners pod to to speak directly to the fans and to the media this summer. Raul and Vinay sat down for that that lovely uh, sofa interview, right, for the official website this summer. They have been willing to speak directly to us when they've wanted us to hear what they have to say. And whenever you think about these briefings that have been given to, to David Ornstein in The Athletic, the club came out today with a statement that is much closer to what we might want to hear and to me looks a lot more like the dreaded vote of confidence. I think maybe, if anything, whatever was floated to David Ornstein became a, a bit of a weather balloon for them to say, holy shit, it's really, really bad. And I think if they are not able to make the change during the international break, 
then I think there is certainly the possibility that the the atmosphere and the empty seats combine in our next match. I think it's against Southampton at home. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. To, to send a pretty clear message. I, I think this is over. And, you know, I, I, I know we, we are sort of quick to panic, and, and I realize the irony of me saying that, but we are quick to panic, and understandably. But in this instance, I just really do believe that you're, what you're also going to have in the background is players going to Raul and Edu and, and making them, themselves heard. Uh, and and I think that those guys are smart enough to understand when that happens, you're in trouble. That that Torreira wants out, that Aubameyang won't sign, that Lacazette won't sign. I think when senior players want the manager gone, they know how to make that happen. And I, I, I get the sense that that is happening behind the scenes. So Clive, we'll just do last little bits here. I mean, in your estimation, do you think that the latest statement points much more clearly to the possibility that that a change could be coming it, it could be and i've got no way i've got no way of knowing i do think it is, it is much more normal there's a little sense of normalcy about this and we've seen this before they could be thinking well you know what the games before christmas are a bit better should we hold on a bit longer i think if they do think that i think they're missing out what's really wrong here uh, I think I keep. I said it before. I just don't think we recognise what we're watching, and um, and that's not good. You know, it's just not good. I don't think the group of fans that we have are being used to seeing a certain approach and a certain stature by which the the club operates, and we don't expect to win every game. We don't expect to win the league, but we do expect to play like a big club, mm-hmm. and and and, we, and that to me will be the thing. That will will get him in the end. We're just not playing like a big club, and I think potentially it could happen. It could be Christmas. I don't know which way around. Andrew's point about I don't know what to do. He's ringing through my ears, and he's now making me doubt the quality of individual behind in Raul and Edu. He's making me doubt that I've got no reason to yet, because something could happen in the next couple of days. Then all is good, but it's now it's now worrying me that maybe I've built them up too much in my own mind. Right, so, so really, now's the time. If it's now or it's Christmas, I'm hoping it's now, but I'm really generally not sure yet. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be really, really soon. And look, this is the other thing. Running a club is complicated, so the only reason I'll give them some, cut them some slack is like, maybe they have the guy they want, and they're negotiating his contract, and he's like, well, I'd feel much better signing on if Aubameyang and Lacazette are re-signed. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts, and it, it may be a case that they're trying to debate like, can we keep Emery for a month while we try to tie these other things together? Do we need to sack him and go with Freddie as a, a caretaker? And then he doesn't have a backroom staff, so it's Freddie and no assistant while we're trying to get these other guys. I mean, they will be wanting Champions League football next season, and they will still be believing that's possible. So maybe they're debating, is a caretaker for a month better than Emery for a month? I would say yes. Maybe they don't agree. You know, maybe they have some insight into Freddie where he said, I don't feel ready to take the the main seat. You know I mean? There's all kinds of things we just can't know about what's influencing their decision. If if Emery's still around come Christmas, then yeah, I think we could say we have a big problem with Raul and Edu. And by the way, I think you could make the point that the fact that they weren't lining up a successor after how last season ended would be a cause for concern. But, you know, that that is what it is. All right, so Andrew, last, last question. As mm. someone who produces world-class Arsenal content every day, how do we continue to discuss this in a way that is productive and worthwhile apart from just constantly saying Emery has to go. I think one of the things I find myself struggling with now is not feeling that there's a hell of a lot of analysis that is cromulent outside of 
Emery has to go. I mean, are, do you find yourself falling into that problem now that it, it feels a lot like Redux? Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, I, I, I don't tend to think about it really because, you know, I get up in the morning and I write what I write and I, I've loved uh, the blogs you've done the last couple of days too. Cause I, I find that they are the most it, cathartic when, when you're feeling the most low, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, it's a, it's a good way of getting your thoughts out and, um, it, it does feel a bit cathartic when you write them as well. It It is a weird situation because I don't even think when, when arson went, there was the same sense of this is so, so over. I think we all recognize that probably it was going to be his last season. I, I said that quite a bit during the, the campaign. I, I said, I think this will be his last season, even though he had another year left. So we weren't sort of, um, we weren't looking beyond the end of the season. What we have now is a manager or a head coach that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that, you know, we know is not the guy. We know he's not the guy for the future. We know that he's not going to be the guy who's going to get us into the top four. And this sort of this weird thing where you're looking at it going, how bad is it going to get before they do what they, they need to do? Um, yeah, look, it might be just a challenge creatively to say the same thing, but in a different way. Um, maybe talk about something else completely. I, I, I don't quite know, particularly now as we're going into an interlull, this is going to be, um, this is going to be a fun one. Um, but, but maybe, you know, this is football, lots of stuff happens and there's always something to talk about and there's, there's a story here or there. Uh, I, I do quite honestly, God, it sounds wrong to say that I look forward to it happening. Mm. I think maybe more, there'd be a sense of relief that it's happened because more than anything, I think the club needs it. The team needs it. The players need it. And, and fans need it because we know we have to take a different direction. Now we know we do. So we're just kind of stumbling along waiting for it to happen. And I think we all kind of need to be put out of our misery in that sense. And then we move on. We have a fresh page. You turn on, you know, you turn over a, a fresh page and you see where you go from there. And that will be exciting and that will be fun again, I hope. Um, you know, or, as different, it or different. <laughs> or different, yeah. But, it, you know, it kind of was when Emery took over. There were, there were things we were all, you know, you guys on your podcast and me on mine and on the blog. You're kind of looking for the positives in things. And over time, you come to realize that, okay, it's not working out the way you thought. But, you know, in those initial stages, you're going, well, this is new. This is fresh. Halftime changes, double changes. You know, you're looking for those things. And then it either works or it doesn't. And in this case, it hasn't worked. And hopefully, whoever comes in next will make it work better. I, um, I got I to tell you, yeah, yeah. I, I think they can. And I think that the, the cause for optimism is how quickly it can change. I mean, as much as Emery might want to say we need to have patience and there's been circumstances and all that nonsense, like Brendan Rodgers made a pretty quick, pretty big change at Leicester. Frank Lampard, with virtually no experience and not even a particularly good track record, has Chelsea playing some good stuff. And all you have to do is look at, compare, you know, how he's handled Pulisic with how we've handled Pepe mm. and you can draw a line between Lampard and Emery there just in terms of the right way to do it and, and the results. And so I think that getting Pepe going and getting this attack firing and playing a little more expansive football, you could turn things around very, very quickly. The question is, is there time to save the season? Because the idea of top four being gone before Christmas 
and yeah. just playing out I the string for five months. That that's that's why I think he will get sacked, Andrew, because I can't imagine a world where we're 14, 15 points adrift of top four come Christmas and he's sticking around for another five months. That doesn't seem tenable to me. No, someone will just set the whole place on fire, won't they? It, it would get bad, yeah. I mean, you'd have an empty stadium for league games. Well, yeah, that too. And that's a consideration as well. That is something they're going to have to consider because, um, you know, we've got Southampton and then is there a Europa League game? Is there a home Europa League game as well? Uh, We should have Frankfurt, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so I mean, see, see how many people are in the stadium for that. Well, See that could at least be fun. And <laughs> the season yeah, look, it could be a fun game. Europa League has been, is, you know, we've had a couple of fun games. A couple of fun games this season. But empty seats speak very loudly to the people who make decisions of football clubs because they look to the balance sheet and they look in their wallets and they know that that's not a good look. It's not a good look. Even if you are in the Europa League, it's... it's uh, it's a, it's a terrible sight in any stadium to see, yeah. you know, half it empty. The, the only thing that would really scare me and, and where you'd really wonder if Arsenal will ever be a club that can compete is if Stan Kroenke has said, we're not paying this fucker off. You find a way to get him through the rest of the season and then you can sack him. I'm not paying him X million pounds, whatever it is. You know, get by with him as you can. And if that is the case, and you know, look, Raulinadu can't come out and say that. They can't say the boss won't let us sack him. You know, so... They'd have to sit on their hands. They'd have to put out mealy mouth statements all season. Unai would be in the job all season. That would be a catastrophe, and that would be a sign that we are going to be run for mediocrity for years, but I think it's way too early to jump to that conclusion. So, um, Mm. you know, and and I do think given that Josh Kroenke seems to care a little and seems to have the reins a little more, I'm inclined to hope that's not the case, but we'll see. I think that's a good place to leave it there. Uh, We have a a lot of stuff we're going to do this week, including some fun stuff for Patreon that will be a little different and hopefully... Um, be a nice distraction from just moaning about Unai Emery, which is always fun, by the way. A lot of that going on in the Discord. In any event, uh, Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Uh, Andrew is, of course, on Twitter at Arsblog. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, Elliot. Yeah, appreciate it. And, of course, Andrew, uh, Arsblog, the, there's a Patreon for that, which is phenomenal, and you should definitely uh, sign up for it. I, I am certainly a patron and enjoy it uh, tremendously. So that'll do it for us. Uh, we'll come back with a regular pod late in the week discussing, uh, well, hopefully, a change of manager, but you know whatever there is to discuss. And we have a couple of Patreon uh, features lined up for the rest of this week, too, that should ideally, hopefully, make this somewhat enjoyable. So thanks for uh, getting through the misery with us together. We will all continue to ride the good ship arsenal wherever it takes us and hope for better things, including statements that don't blame us for being the problem. Because as far as I can tell, we are not the problem. So congratulations to us. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Tim, Paul, and Scott. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Southampton. Southampton.